Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at thedistrict.church. Amen. You guys go ahead and have a seat. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and grab those uh, and turn to Romans chapter 8 uh, and just kind of uh, keep your finger there or um, uh, just keep it open there throughout. Uh, we're going to be in multiple places throughout scriptures, kind of like I mentioned last week, um, as we look at uh, kind of a lot of, um, from Genesis to Revelation, a lot of what the Bible teaches around the doctrines that we believe as a church. Um, and so Romans 8 is where we're going to end in the the, the sermon, um, and so I want you to go ahead and be there, but until we kind of lead into that, I'm going to be all over the place um, as far as the scriptures are concerned, and, and don't necessarily are going to have you doing like Bible drills like maybe you did when you were younger um, in, in uh, Sunday school classes and, and so forth. Um, so just stay there in Romans 8. We'll be covering those 16 verses as we close out the sermon. Um, but today we are talking about the third person of the Trinity. Um, we're, we're in a series right now called Believe, um, and this series is, is meant to be um, us as a church walking through our statement of faith, walking through what it is that we believe are, are the main doctrines of Scripture that we are to hold um, close to our mission and vision as a church. Uh, because what we believe about the Bible uh, dictates ultimately our actions and what we do as a church, what we do individually as people um, as we live our lives out. I mean, what you believe about the Father matters. What you believe about the Son, Jesus Christ, matters. What you believe about the Holy Spirit matters because it holds you to their heart. It holds you to their understanding. It holds you to ultimately what they want accomplished in the world around us. And so to not know them uh, would to be or, or would then be not knowing who they've created you to be and then flows out into not knowing what to do, not knowing how to live life, not knowing how to love your spouse, not knowing how to love your kids, not knowing how to work with others um, in the workplace, um, not knowing just how to be a citizen of heaven in um, the citizenship of the world. And so uh, we want to hold doctrine and hold theology before you um, as something that is a beacon for us, as something that is something that we, we hold tight to. And we say, if we were to get off of this at any way um, throughout the path of planting this church, uh, then we would cease to be a church if we're not holding scripture and what is teaching us about the doctrine of who God is, um, we'll get off. And so, because then it would become kind of what I think we should do as a church, and then it would become what Jeremy thinks we should do as a church, and what Josh thinks we should do as a church. And as soon as it becomes our will and our understandings rather than God's will and his understandings, um, then we would cease to be a church, and we don't, want to, we don't want that to be. And so our statement of faith is on our website. Our statement of faith is in our membership packet. Um, it's fleshed out a little bit more when we go through our membership process, uh, when we talk about the theological distinctives that we believe as a church, um, and we do those things so that you're able to see, okay, the mission and vision of the district church did not come from three guys, two of which are from the south in Middle Tennessee, one of which is from southern Florida. None of them are from the context of Indianapolis. And so to plant this church, we had to come into this thing and say, what is God doing? Who is God? And what does he ultimately want for the people of Indianapolis? And so um, that is why we, we put this before you guys so that you can also hold us accountable to, hey, this ministry that we're starting doesn't really line up with, with the, the statement of faith and the beliefs of a church based on Scripture. And so why are we starting, uh, you know, a car washing ministry? Like, like just we, we, we want to make sure that anything and everything we do is always in line with what we believe the Scriptures are ultimately teaching about God and His mission for reconciliation. So that's why we're doing this series. Um, as I said, today we are talking about the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is an interesting um, topic to talk about because the Holy Spirit, specifically um, in doctrines across churches, is all over the place. 
Um, just like I shared last week about Jesus, when it comes to pop culture, Jesus is kind of all over the place as far as what people believe about him. But when it comes to churches, for the most part, churches tend to believe Jesus is who he is. I mean, he, he, they get the gospel part of it right in the sense that he came and he lived a perfect life and he died the death that we were supposed to die and that he rose again. And that guarantees for us a resurrection to have an eternal um, glorified body just like Jesus had. Like when it comes to Jesus, most churches in different camps would kind of agree on, on where they're at with that. There might be some differences as far as how we get to Jesus, um, but for the most part, as far as Jesus and the person of who he is, most churches are on the same page. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, most camps within theological distinctives um, can be all over the place to the point where I've, I've been a part of churches who uh, would land more on the side of Holy Spirit being kind of this... Um, weird cousin like within the trinity almost like if you've ever seen vegas vacation or like christmas vacation like the holy spirit's kind of like cousin eddie um where he's just like the life of the party he's weird um like he kind of comes in and like just creates a different environment for people to interact with like you're not you're never really knowing exactly what he's going to say or what he's going to do he's unpredictable um they kind of see the holy spirit in this realm um of of the father and the son and the holy spirit and so the father and the son are very predictable the holy spirit is very unpredictable um that's not the case in scripture the Holy Spirit is specifically has a mission that he is accomplishing, and we can see that mission. We can see exactly what the Holy Spirit is doing and accomplishing in Scripture. Uh, other people kind of see the Holy Spirit offering in. So if you would say the Father kind of speaks to our minds in a lot of ways, uh, the Son kind of speaks to our identity, they would say the Holy Spirit speaks into our emotions. Um, so the Holy Spirit's always kind of going to give you this experience in which you're going to encounter God uh, in a way in which you don't encounter when it dealing is with, with just the Father or the Son. And so there will be some churches who will be very hyper, let's focus on the Father and the Son, because it's predictable. We know exactly that we're going to focus on intellect and we're going to focus on knowledge, but we're scared to death to focus on the Holy Spirit because if we do, that impacts our emotions and a lot of times emotions can drive action. And so then you kind of get this other camp that then focuses on being what they would call slain in the Spirit. Um, and this is where you get a lot of uh, them looking at Acts 2 and them looking at Pentecost and what happened there and how they're speaking in different tongues and how basically they were overcome by something that caused them to do things that aren't normal to who they are Monday through Saturday. And so then Sunday becomes basically how many pews can you jump? Um, how, how many times can you run around um, the, the service or the, the, the sanctuary? Um, you can literally Google just or, or uh, YouTube videos. I can show you a video later of just this church where it's like the dude, dude singing a song upstage. And, and, and basically, as he gets to this one lyric, you can just see the people kind of like in angst growing in the congregation where they just can't wait for the chorus because as soon as you get to the the chorus, then it's like all hell breaks loose. That's probably not a good phrase to use, but um, they get slain in the spirits. And at this point, they just start sprinting. I mean, it's like 40-yard dashes in like a 4-1-40 where they're running down um, the aisles. They're taking jackets off. They're throwing the jackets around. Literally, you can see the guy throw the jacket and like hit the preacher in the face up on stage. You got this other dude that literally like comes up on stage, somersaults like into the baptism. Don't know if he was then baptized in the Holy Spirit or not, um, but he just somersaults right into the baptism, gets out and just runs around just soaking wet. Like this is them being slain in the spirit or having the Holy Spirit take over the service and is causing a lot of people to do something that they wouldn't normally do because as soon as service breaks, then it's kind of like oh okay i'm back to normal now like you want to go to mcdonald's afterwards like you want to go like let's just have a conversation like normal like it's just a weird kind of experience um and so there's there's a lot of differences in theology on who the spirit is and what the spirit's ultimately 
engaging in. Um, a lot of times people will even kind of boil the spirit down to just the gifts. Um, just the gifts of speaking in tongues, the gifts of speaking in prophecy, the gifts of speaking a word over people. And to just limit him to those things is, is not giving the spirit the glory and honor and adoration um, and worship that the spirit deserves in all the other things that he's also accomplishing. And so we can't also just boil it down to gifts. And for some of us might have been thinking that, hey, I'm going to go the route of spiritual gifts in this sermon since we're dealing with the Holy Spirit. And if that's what you're looking for, then you're going to be disappointed because I'm not going that route with what the Spirit's accomplishing. Um, we will get there in the doctrine, um, in the statement of faith, when we get to talking about the church and the body and the gifts being a part of the church and where we land as far as that is concerned um, with us being continuationists. And I'll talk about that um, as we get there. But I want to just kind of briefly start off with saying that there is a way in which we can begin to form kind of a foundation for who the Spirit is. Um, and they both flow within the idea of the Trinity. And so if you were to think of God as being someone who has understanding and will, has knowledge and action, um, basically mean there, there's always an idea as to who he is, and based on who he is, flows into then what he does. God's always existed in that type of way in which there's an identity for who he is that flows out of um, or that flows into actions of then how he responds or what he does that's always dictated on who he is as a person. And so when we look at God and we look at the Father and we look at the Son, we know that the Son, as we talked about last week, is the perfect image and visibility of the invisible God. We know that if you were to look at the Father and all of the perfections of the Father, all of the pureness and holiness of the Father, they are perfectly represented in the image of the Son. So the Son becomes for us the knowability of who the Father is. We can't see the Father, but we know the Father because we've seen Jesus. So to know everything about the Father is to look at Jesus and see Jesus for who he is. And so that's why scriptures talk about the fact that the Son is the perfect representation of who God is, who the Father is. Well, when we look at the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the perfect, holy representation of God's love and experience. So where Jesus is us looking and knowing the Father, the Holy Spirit is us looking and experiencing the love of who the Father is. It's the action of God in motion based on the identity of who the Father is. So it's a lot more um, than just a moment for us of experiencing or being slain in the Spirit or receiving the Spirit, but rather it's a constant daily manifestation of God to us, revealing to us the experience of what it means to be in unity with the Father and the Son. And so, if you were to think about it another way, just, just picturing, and I know this is hard, words fail when it comes to this, but if we're picturing the existence of the Trinity for eternity past, and we're thinking Father, and we're thinking Son, and we're thinking Holy Spirit, the Father and the Son represent how they know each other. The Holy Spirit represents how they love each other perfectly. So they know each other perfectly through the Son. They love each other perfectly through the Spirit. And the Father drives all of that from his identity in himself. Um, C.S. Lewis kind of tries to put this into words um, when it deals with the Holy Spirit. He says, you know that among human beings, when they get together in a family or a club or a trades union, this is a little bit dated as far as time, uh, but people talk about the spirit of the family or the club or the trades union. They talk about its spirit because the individual members, when they're together, do really develop particular ways of talking and behaving, which they wouldn't have if they were apart. It is, this, it is as if a sort of communal personality came into existence. Of course, it isn't a real person. It's only a spirit, uh, but it's only rather like a person. But when we're dealing with God, what grows out of the joint life of the Father and the Son is a real 
person is in fact the third person of the Trinity, God himself. And so when he's talking about the Spirit, he's saying, basically, if you were to meet the Father and the Son on the, on the street, the way in which they interact with one another and the way in which they mutually love and know each other, if you were to take that experience and create a person out of it, they're saying that's who the Holy Spirit is, is the interaction between the Father and the Son. However, it's not a created person. It's it's an interaction that has always existed as the third person of the Trinity. Just like me by myself as a personality is Dwayne Gibbs, but you get me with others, and then I kind of become something else as well in the sense of how the, the group kind of flows. Like if you take me with eight other guys and we go golfing, and we're all kind of not golfing the way we want to golf, there's going to be a spirit of that group that is going to be frustrated that's going to be throwing golf clubs as Josh threw at me last week um, there, there's going to be a spirit that happens within a group based on how they interact with one another and that's ultimately what the spirit is except he is also his own person so when it comes to really trying to define him words fail words fail but we do get to see the work of the spirit as far as the way he interacts with us through scripture and so some of the role of the Spirit, and again, we're going to be fleshing these things out throughout the, the weeks to come, um, but I want you just to see that it's not just tied to gifts, uh, but it's tied to so much more. When it comes to our baptism, the Holy Spirit is at work. When it comes to gifts, the Holy Spirit is at work. When it comes to the authority of Scripture, so applying the authority of Scripture to our world and to us and our minds and our hearts, it is the work of the Holy Spirit. When it comes to prayer, it is the work of the Holy Spirit. We are praying to the Father. We are praying through the Son, Jesus, but we are praying on behalf of the work of the Holy Spirit who is interceding for us. When it comes to calling, when it comes to what God is, is calling you to do in the mission and work of redemption in the world, whether that's as a stay-at-home mom, whether that's as a teacher, whether that's as a, a pastor, whatever his calling on you is, that calling is coming from the Holy Spirit. The work of regeneration, bringing someone who is dead in their trespasses and bringing them into the spirit of life, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. When it comes to our sanctification, when it comes to growing in the new identity that we have in Christ, that comes from the Holy Spirit. When it comes to perseverance, being able to withstand trials, withstand persecution, withstand whatever it is that's coming at us, trying to accuse us of who we aren't, that's the work of the Holy Spirit to hold us tight and to bound us and to seal us in the identity of Christ is the work of the Holy Spirit. When it comes to our glorification, when it comes to us going on from these hoopty bodies that are breaking down every single day, and for some of you who are under the age of 27, it will happen to you. Your body will break down and will not be as vibrant as it is right now. Um, there will be a day that our bodies are replaced with glorified bodies where we are from the dead resurrected to a new body. That work is the Spirit. It was the Spirit of God who resurrected Christ and brought him out of the grave. When it comes to church discipline, when it comes to looking at membership and discerning the way in which we are to help one another grow in the gospel and grow in our understanding, that spirit of discernment is ultimately the work of the Holy Spirit laying that on the hearts of all of us. When it comes to God just applying his grace to our lives is the work of the Holy Spirit. When it comes to us being able to worship, like that is the work of the Spirit. Like you are unable to worship God, to do anything that would bring pleasure to God without the work of the Holy Spirit. It's impossible for us. And we're going to see that when we walk through Romans chapter 8. We're going to see that it is impossible for us to please God, which is worshiping God without the work of the Holy Spirit. Wayne Grudem, in his Systematic Theology book, says, The work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest the active presence of God in the world, and especially in the church. During the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, 
um, we tend to see the manifested presence of God in the work of the Father. Like usually people look at the Old Testament and they see the Father at work. And that is true. And there are even special ways in which he manifests his presence um, through things that they call theophanies. Um, theophanies are just visible representations of who God is in his work. The burning bush is a theophany. That is God revealing himself in a physical way in which he's communicating to humans. Um, and, and that was ultimately God the Father communicating to Moses through a theophany. There was another way in which he's dealing with a prophet, and he's basically telling the prophet, you're going to die. Um, and, and the way he does that is by writing, like literally a hand appearing and writing on a wall. Um, that's a theophany that happens. The cloud is a theophany in which the Israelites would follow after. Um, and so God represented himself in different types of manifestations, but it was ultimately the Father who was doing those things in the Old Testament. And then when we move into the new covenant with Jesus, it's the, it's the Son who is the manifestation of God who brings himself down and is interacting with us. He's interacting with the disciples. He's, he's healing people. He's doing everything that we talked about last week. It's the Son. When the Son leaves, when Jesus ascends back to heaven, he gives a promise and he tells them, I'm never going to leave you, but by me not leaving you, because it's kind of like a, Okay, I'm never going to leave you, but then he leaves and he goes to heaven. Uh, he, it's like I mean, I, I just I've never experienced that. Like someone's being like, "Hey, man, I'm gonna let's go to the park. I'm gonna walk with you," and then I start walking to the park and he just goes away the other route. Um, like this is not what ultimately is happening. Jesus is saying, "I'm leaving you as Jesus the Son, but I'm not leaving you as God." The way in which I'm not leaving you as God is that I'm also going to send God to you, the third person of the Trinity, the helper, the Holy Spirit, who will be with you always. And so when Jesus ascends back to heaven, we then have the Holy Spirit who comes down at Pentecost and falls on the believers. And at that point on, the manifestation of God, the active presence of God working in the world. We've seen all three throughout our entire history, but at this point on, the Holy Spirit is the one acting. The Holy Spirit is the one moving. The Holy Spirit is the one who is here and present with us. Like the, the reality is, is that of the Trinity, and even though we went through the Abide series and we talked about the union between us and Jesus and abiding in the vine as we are branches, as the vine is abiding in the Father, like yes, there is all of that in which we are in perfect union with, with Jesus, in which we are in perfect union with the Father, but the only way in which that is happening for us is because we are in perfect union with the Holy Spirit who is making that happen. So, going nuts here. Um, so the way that wish that happens is ultimately by the Holy Spirit. So it's actually really interesting for us that the person of the Trinity that we actually deal with more than any is the Holy Spirit, yet he tends to be the one that we neglect the most. He tends to be the one that we grieve the most. He tends to be the one that we do not interact with the most and, and I'm interested, maybe you can flesh this out with, with your missional group this week, but I'm interested to at least have a conversation of why that is. Is it because of a church background that you had that was maybe afraid of the Holy Spirit? Like I know the church that, that I was raised in when, when I was in high school and even came on staff with. Um, it was just kind of one of those unspoken things. Like there are people in the church who spoke in tongues but never spoke in tongues from a Sunday morning stance and it's just because they're scared to death of what that looks like. They just don't know what that interaction looks like. And, and I'm looking at it thinking, okay, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm scared of, of the kind of unplanned and unorganized kind of process of what that is. But at the same time, if this is something that's from God and is edifying to the body of Christ and is there to mutually build everyone up to reflect more of Jesus Christ, why are we not praying for that? Why are we scared of something that God would do that would be good for us and would benefit us even though it might be out of the norm? And it might be something that we have to grow in, but at the same time, like, it is good. And so it's one of those things that I pray for, 
God's definitely not given me the gift of speaking in tongues. Um, and maybe it's because there's, uh, he might, you know, in his um, foreknowledge and in him looking ahead might be like, well, yeah, Dwayne, if you were to speak in tongues, you might go awry with it or, or you might mis, mis, or misuse it or abuse it. You, you might not fully understand the way in which I want it to, to operate, and so I'm not going to give it to you. But yet he tells us in Scripture to pray for the gifts, to pray for the more mature gifts, to pray for those things, and ultimately maybe he would grant it to us. What I'm ultimately saying when it comes to that and the work of the Spirit is I do not want us to be afraid of the work of the Spirit. I don't want us to, to be content with just organizing ministry that primarily deals with the Father and the Son because it's safe. And by safe, I just mean that it's easy for us to plan and organize. But rather, I, I want us to be overwhelmed at times. I want us to see things happen in our church that at the end of the day could only be explained that God showed up and did something that we ourselves in our limited ability could not accomplish. The Holy Spirit's the one who does that. The Holy Spirit's the one who initiates that. And the Holy Spirit's the one who brings glory to the Father and the Son in that. So there's four things that I want to talk about um, that is the work of the Holy Spirit in the church um, before we walk through pretty quickly the Romans 8. Um, the first thing is that the Holy Spirit empowers. Like one of the jobs, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is that he empowers us. He gives life to our physical bodies as well as our spiritual lives. Like the Holy Spirit's not just someone who turns the light on for a Christian but he literally turns the light on for you to physically be alive. Psalm 104 verse 30 says, when you send forth your spirit, they are created. When you send forth your spirit, they are created. In Job 34, 14 and 15, he says, if God should take back his spirit to himself and gather to himself his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. So the role of the Spirit is both to give and sustain life. Like, have you ever toured, like, an abandoned house before? Like, anybody ever toured, like, an abandoned house or an abandoned building? Man, y'all got to live more. Like, y'all got to get out and find some of these things. Maybe it's just a southern thing, but, like, I, I enjoy it. Um, but anyways, when you walk through an abandoned house or an abandoned building, like, it's dead, right? It's literally just bones, um, this is what we would be like if the Spirit were to remove His presence from us. And so when we look at Scripture, we see the Father as kind of the one who draws out the blueprints for life. We see the Son as the one who by Him all things are created. And so He's bringing the building materials and ultimately performing the construction of who we are. But it's the Holy Spirit who turns on the utilities. It's the Holy Spirit who comes in and activates the life within us as a facility, us as a body. He does this for all of the physical realm. And so literally, if the Holy Spirit were to remove his presence, grass will no longer be grass. Water will no longer be water. I, will no, like, I don't know what I'll fall into, but I will fall into something that is no longer who I am. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives life and is sustaining life Every single moment, every single word that we say is the Holy Spirit keeping that as a word that it is. He literally binds all of life together. We see this in creation when God created the, the heavens and the earth and he created the land and he created the waters. It said the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters. And literally what that means is the Father created. And as the Father created, the Holy Spirit immediately comes in and begins acting in the sense of keeping it what the Father has instilled it to be. He begins protecting it in order to keep it as waters and land and not for them just to go in chaos. He brings order to God's creation. In John 3, 6-7, he says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. 
He says, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born anew. This is him having a conversation with a guy named Nicodemus. And he's literally saying, in order for you to become a believer, for you to become a Christian, for you to receive eternal life, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus is is a grown man thinking, I don't think I can fit back in my mother's womb. Like, I'm just kind of doing the math real quick. I'm measuring. Like, I don't think I can reverse process this and go back in there so that I can be reborn. And what Jesus is telling him is, I'm not saying that you have to be reborn physically, but you have to be reborn of the Spirit. And what that means is the Spirit literally has to take us from a dead spiritual identity and breathe life into our spiritual bodies in order for us to then be a child of God. It's the Holy Spirit's role to make us a new person. Just like when a baby is born as a new person in this world, give it a name, give it a social security number, like give it life. It was born on this date. Same thing happens for us spiritually. Even though we're physically alive, we're spiritually dead. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives birth to our spiritual lives. This is his work. We see this in Romans 8, 11 as well. Um, that not only does he give sp- life to our spiritual bodies, but will then give life to our resurrected bodies. He says in verse 11, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Second thing the spirit does is that he purifies us. Um, Since this member of the Trinity is called the Holy Spirit, um, holy is a part of his job description. Like it's not just, okay, yeah, come as you are and then you remain as you are. Um, like that is an invitation of Christianity is that you don't have to clean yourself up before you come to Christ. That is absolutely true. No one has to try to clean themselves up before they come to Christ. He in a way accepts you as you are in bringing you into the family, but he loves you enough, enough to not keep you as you are because he wants you to become more like himself. And that's the role of the Holy Spirit is to come and begin purifying you to begin making you holy making you blameless just like he is so the holy spirit is looking at jesus and the holy spirit is looking at you and he's looking at the gap in between and he's saying i've got work to do i've got work to do and that work that i'm doing is called sanctification i'm taking the identity of jesus i'm putting it inside you and i'm now proclaiming to you every single day this is who you are you see jesus This is who you are. Your actions and your thoughts and your deeds and your words are not matching up to your new identity. So we've got work to do. We've got work in order to continue convicting you and telling you stop living the old life that you used to live that's trained your flesh to act out and think out this way. But rather, I've got to start proclaiming to you and teaching to you every single day This is who Jesus is. This is who Jesus is. This is how he talks. This is how he loves. This is how he serves. This is his identity. This is how you are to talk and to think and to love and to serve and to walk with those around you because this is who you are. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to to purify us um, and to make us holy, to ultimately bring forth the fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, all of the fruit of the Spirit. And it literally says fruit. It's not fruits as if we can kind of shop the Holy Spirit um, as far as going in. Yeah, I think I'll have some gentleness today. Maybe tomorrow I'll look at the patience. Maybe on Friday I'll, I'll jump into, you know, some, some crazy things since it's the weekend. No, like it's, it's the fruit of the Spirit. When the identity of Christ comes into us and it's the Spirit of Christ that dwells within us, It's those things that ultimately the Holy Spirit is producing out of our lives. The next thing that the Holy Spirit does is that he reveals. Um, He is the God who reveals to us all truth about the Father and the Son. Like we cannot know and love the Father and the Son without the Holy Spirit bringing us in and ultimately introducing us. 
Like that's his role is to introduce us to the Father and the Son time after time after time after moment after moment after second after second is to reveal to us, hey guys, uh, you're, you're kind of getting off a little bit. Um, I need to bring you back and show you the Father and the Son again. Hey, you're kind of straying from Scripture a little bit. I need to get you back to what Scripture is ultimately teaching. Hey, you're kind of straying your relationship with your spouse. I need to get you back to the way in which God wants you to ultimately love your spouse. I need you to see the Father and the Son. I need to make that um, known in your life. We see this in 2 Peter 1, uh, 21. He says, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The disciples and the apostles, like when they began preaching and teaching and began sharing the gospel with others, like that wasn't just something that they were able to kind of come up with themselves as if they were like science fiction writers. And they're like, you know what would be a great story? would be this story of, of, of this kind of eternal being that we're going to write about who comes to a broken world, and then from that broken world, he begins doing all these kind of crazy things. Yeah, that would be a great story. Let's just write this out as a science fiction book and then get people to believe it to be true and, and then continue going on this thing. Like, like this idea of man being broken and a perfect father and a perfect son and a perfect Holy Spirit existing as God to then come to us and, br- and fix what's broken is not something that we can come up with nor write, but is rather something that has to be revealed to us from God himself. And you know one of the reasons why I know that that's true, and we're going to see this as we talk about the, the authority of Scripture and the inerrancy of Scripture, is if we were writing this as a book ourselves, we're never going to write ourselves into the story as broken as we are. Why would we do that? Like if this idea never came from God and life is just us here by happenstance or like us just here kind of figuring this thing out without no clear external direction or guidance, why would we create a best-selling book for the last 2,000 years that paints such a horrible and deplorable picture of mankind? Like if Peter wrote what Peter wrote, don't you think he would leave out the, the phrases from Jesus that referred to him as Satan? Like, I'm not including that. Like, if me and Jesus are interacting with, it, with each other and Jesus wants me to write a book, don't you think I'm going to leave out the time that we were kind of hanging out and he said, get behind me, devil? I don't want to write that in here, Jesus. I'm going to keep that one out. Remember that time you referred to me as the rock? on which you're going to build this church because of my statement that you are the Christ, the Son of God. I liked that one. I'm going to put that one in here in the introduction, in the conclusion, in the thesis. Like, that's what this book's going to be about is me nailing it. Not everything that I'm failing in. Did you think Paul would want to leave out all of the, the history of him persecuting and murdering people? Like, that's him putting forth a confession to some, you know, law of society that would basically be willing to imprison him for murdering people. That was against their law. Why would you include that in there unless it's inspired by the Holy Spirit revealing a truth to you that is above and beyond who you are and what you're capable of? Jesus promises that when he sends the Holy Spirit to us, this helper that this is going to be a helper who guides us into all truth and gives us the remembrance of all that Jesus taught the disciples. I love that because I'm thinking back on the disciples and their three years interacting with Jesus. And at the end of John, as John's writing the book of John, it says literally, if I were to write down all of the words and all of the things that Jesus did, there would not be enough books in the world to contain all of the work of Christ. Just in those three years, he's saying there's not enough pages for me to write all of the work that Jesus has accomplished. The Holy Spirit guides us into this process and says, no, I'm going to give you remembrance of those things. I'm going to guide you in the truth. I'm going to guide you in the understanding. I'm going to be there to help you. Literally, one of his titles is Helper. He's there for us to guide us through so that we don't have to just figure these things out on our own. The last thing I want to talk about before we jump into Romans 8 is the Holy Spirit unifies. 
When the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church at Pentecost, Peter proclaimed that the prophecy, uh, he proclaimed the prophecy of Joel 2, 28 through 32 was fulfilled. And this is what he says. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall see uh, shall dream dreams. Yes, and on my men servants and on my maid servants in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. He's saying that the, ultimately he's going to be pouring out the Holy Spirit onto a people in which he is then going to create out of that people a community. And what we see in Acts chapter 2 is the fleshing out. We're seeing the example of this community that was then formed when the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And this is one of the things, this is, this is where we get the theology from our groups meeting throughout every single week is the best way for you to incorporate or, or to, to understand and experience the life of the church and the unity of the Holy Spirit is not just what we do on Sundays, and it's also not just in one-on-one -on -one mentoring relationships, but it's when you're getting in groups of 8 to 12 people that are wrestling through Scripture, that are encouraging one another, that are rebuking one another, that are asking questions of one another, that are talking and admonishing and speaking truth into one another, and are literally just getting around a room and saying, this is who Jesus is, this is who we are, and so let's work towards being more like Jesus. Because I don't want just the best Jeremy, I want the Jesus and Jeremy. I don't want the best Josh. I want the Jesus and Josh. I don't want the best Aaron. I want the Jesus and Aaron. I want the transforming presence of God in you as you share your presence with us. As you come into a room, we want to see the transforming presence of God as you bring your presence into a room. And so Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 47 um, show us what the Holy Spirit has done in this community. It says, All who believed were together and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and distributed them to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, you're seeing corporate gathering of worship. You're seeing the breaking of bread in homes. You're seeing getting together and having discussions in homes. They partook of food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. You don't manufacture unity in your own ability. Only the Holy Spirit manufactures unity amongst a group of people with all kinds of different backgrounds, different opinions, different understandings, different experiences. Only the Holy Spirit produces the unity that we're striving for and longing for in these groups that we have. Because let's be honest, guys. What's our natural bent when we become part of a church or an organization, whether it's where, where, maybe where you work, or even a group of people that you hang out with, whether that's a missional group, or just a group of people that, that you're friends with, what's our natural bent is to look for the negative qualities or the negative experiences in each of those places. When we come into a church, yes, there might kind of be the initial um, kind of... Um, almost like a high of just like kind of seeing something for, for a new, seeing something and experiencing something new, almost kind of like taking a drug and not saying that I do that um, at all, but like when you take a drug, like there's kind of that temporary like high and then you kind of fall off of that. And when you fall off of that, you begin seeing things more clearly for what it really is. Like sometimes people can come into a church and be like, this is exactly what I've been looking for. This is exactly what I want. And then six weeks in, you're like, but man, like, Dwayne hasn't reached out to me in like two weeks. He hasn't texted me or like, you know, uh, Little District. Like, I, I didn't really like, you know, what they did as far as um, a, a craft because now I've got glitter all over my car. Or like, like, whatever it is, like, it's easy to start kind of looking into whatever organization you're a part of. Our natural bent is to, where can I begin pointing fingers? Pessimism kind of seeps into it. And what the Holy Spirit is doing is saying, no, 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 no. Unity is what we're after. 
Community is what we're after. Yes, it's easy. Our natural bent is to begin creating division and to begin talking negatively of organizations or churches or whatever it looks like. But what the Holy Spirit's role is, is to reel that back in and say, no, no, no. Yes, it's broken. Yes, they're going to let you down. But the Christ in Dwayne is not going to let you down. So have faith that he's going to continue maturing him and growing him and that his preaching in five years might be better than it is now or 10 years. Like I'm, I'm telling you guys, like I'm looking forward to, to Dwayne 20 years from now because maybe he'll get it all right. But there's still going to be things that are wrong about it because I'm still in the process of sanctification. Same thing with everyone else in this room is we don't expect you to be perfect attenders. We don't expect you to be perfect members. Like we don't expect perfection, but we do expect progress because we expect progress based on the fact that the Holy Spirit says, I'm going to be progressing people in the image of Christ. I'm going to literally be transforming them from one degree of glory to the next. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing. And so, like, literally, you've come into the district church. My prayer is at its worst. Because as we each continue growing in our identity of Christ, by way of the Holy Spirit, as we mature, the church matures. And we're really going to be fleshing that out when we get into the ordinances of the church and and the different things in which we interact as members of a body. But we need every single person in here. Like any one of you who neglect the Holy Spirit, who neglect reading scripture, who neglect prayer, who neglect the abiding that we talked about throughout the summer series. Like when you neglect abiding in Christ affects my experience with God. Because I'm not getting it from you. Just same with me. Like if I don't, if I were to just show up, and there's, there's churches who do this. Like there's, there's guys who will come in on a sermon and just say, I'm going to open up the scriptures and whatever the Lord has me to say, I'm going to do that. And maybe that can happen at times. But the reality is, is, is I've been in some of those churches and what tends to happen is dude's got one sermon that he preaches every single week just from a different text. Because he only knows a specific thing to say because he's not continuing to grow in his knowledge and understanding of the word in its totality. And so if I don't take 12 to 15 hours each week preparing a sermon and looking into all of who God is and how that applies to our lives, then I'm not going to be able to give you what you ultimately need in order to see God for who he is. Same thing with our groups. Like, if we literally just showed up to our groups every single week and and just said, yeah, we're just going to get together and pray. And I'm not belittling prayer. But if all we did in our groups was just to get together and pray, but never actually, like, wrestled through questions about theology, never wrestled through um, application of what God is teaching us, then we're not going to help spur one another on to love and good deeds. We're not going to help hold each other accountable. We're not going to help to rebuke one another. And I'll even one of the things, like, it's easy for us in groups to, to even come in and just say, yeah, here's where life has sucked this week, and so pray for that. But, like, where's admonishing one another and where life has gone great this week? Like, where we've seen Christ, where we've seen the Father, where we've seen the Holy Spirit working in our lives amidst the mess. And, and so let's not just let it always be prayer requests, but let's praise Let's honor, like let's, let's give God glory for the fact that we're breathing and that we're in a group that is multiple people involved in it and that we are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. The Holy Spirit brings that about in us and ultimately establishes this community. And so he says in Philippians 2, 1 through 2, If therefore there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, then make my joy complete by being of the same mind. 
that's hard. Like from, from my perspective, from, from, from leading a church, especially in my role of, of vision and looking a year down the road, three years down the road, five years down the road, it's incredibly difficult to navigate that path when you've got a ton of people, not a ton of people, you've got 40 people with different viewpoints of where we should go. But what my role is, is what does it mean for us to be of the same mind moving forward? Not just individually being like, hey, what song do you specifically like? And let's sing that seven times over the next four weeks. But no, no, no. Collectively, what's going to allow us to be of the same mind and progress forward on the mission and vision that God has for the city of Indianapolis in order for us to effectively share the gospel, to share love with one another? So it's no longer individual. Church is not about meeting your need. Church is about meeting the greater need of all of us together as the community. I have full faith and assurance that God is going to meet your individual need. And that a lot of times that will happen through the church. But what that does not mean is that you come with a checklist of things like you're shopping and you're saying, I'm going, like I I go to the store on Monday in order to get the food for the rest of the week. I go to the store of church on Sunday in order to get more prayer, in order to get more um, study of scripture, in order to get, like like you individually, the church is not going to meet every single need that you have, but I do have assurance that your relationship and your abiding relationship with Jesus is going to provide those things. What the church collectively is going to meet the need of is this city of Indianapolis, hearing the gospel, coming to know Jesus so that we can introduce them to the person who is going to meet every need that they ultimately have. But it's not going to come from us. I can't figure that out for you. I can't literally look at every sermon and say, how is this sermon going to help Kelsey, how is this sermon going to help Drew? How is this sermon going to... No, no, no. I've got to look at it overall and say, of the same mind. How is this sermon going to advance us forward? So the city of Indianapolis is getting to see the Holy Spirit in action, indeed, and and it's ultimately in his essence. So Romans chapter 8, don't get nervous. I'm not going to be here long. Romans chapter 8. I just want you to see the work of the Holy Spirit in this um, arguably one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. Not to say that it's better than others. I'm just saying. Romans chapter 8, picking up in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen for that, right? Like there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yes, we do confessions on Sundays. Confessions aren't meant to make you feel bad about yourself. Confessions are meant for us to remind you of who you are in Christ so that you're able to have an understanding that sin sucks. And because sin sucks and because I'm still acting in ways of who I'm not, I want to bring those things to the Lord because the way the Lord sees me is no condemnation. So confession is not meant to be a woe is me, I'm a horrible and deplorable person, but rather confession is meant to be a lament of I know I am pleased in God's sight. I know that that he sees me as he sees Jesus. I know that he sees me as righteous, yet I'm still acting out in my flesh. And so let me bring those things to the Lord and say, Father, I'm sorry that I continue to do this and I'm sorry that I continue missing out on your joy for me, on your pleasures for me, on all that I get to experience by saying no to sin and yes to Jesus. That's why we confess because we know there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we constantly want to run to him for that. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Like when we're in the law of sin and death, there's only one thing that we can do. Sin and death. And we're great at it. Before Christ, that's it. Like people talk about the idea of free will. When you are apart from Christ, your free will will only choose sin and death. 
So you're running around with a ton of choices, but those choices are going to point towards destruction, sin, and death. When we're moved into the law of the Spirit, we are now in our free will to have the choices to then move to honoring God, pleasing God, worshiping God, saying no to sin and yes to Jesus, because now we have the ability to do that because Christ lives in us. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. So now there's action in place. If we're walking according to the flesh, sin and death. If we're walking according to the spirit, life and peace as it says. For those who live according to the flesh will set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. You set your mind on something. You're choosing to walk in something. And he explains that. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. You're now in an identity of Christ choosing life and peace, choosing to worship rather than to rebel. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit's life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. That's what I'm talking about in that free will of a sinner. In your free will as a sinner, you cannot choose God. Impossible. Those in the domain of darkness, it is impossible to choose God without the Holy Spirit intervening coming into our life, producing regeneration for us, allowing us to see Jesus and see the Father and then be able to turn to him through faith in the gospel. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So now we're talking about belonging. We're talking about ownership. Who owns us? Is it the world Or is it Christ? If it's Christ, then you're going to be able to walk by the Spirit. If it's the world, it's impossible for you to walk by the Spirit. But if Christ is in you, although the body's dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, guarantee, take this to the bank, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The thing I love about that verse alone is everything the Holy Spirit does for Jesus, he does for you. Everything the Holy Spirit does for Jesus, he does for you. God's not picking favorites here. God's not looking down on us and saying, Dwayne, because you've done this, I'm going to do this. What he's saying here is everything that my Holy Spirit has given to Jesus, I'm guaranteeing that I'm going to give to you. And there's nothing that you have to do in order to earn that. I'm giving it to you. It's an absolute guarantee. So then, brothers, we're debtors. Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Just to flesh it out a little bit more, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, now we're talking about empowerment, by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. By the Spirit of God, we're able to say no to sin and yes to Jesus, leading to life, experiencing life now, experiencing eternal life um, for the future. So then, brothers, we're debtors to this. Verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Where does this come from? It comes from the fact that we are led by the Spirit of God to do this. This is not man coming to God saying, we found it, we figured it out, we nailed the path. No, this is the Spirit of God coming to us and saying, I need to bring you to the path. I need to bring you to Jesus so that you can see that he is the way and the truth and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through him. How do we see Jesus? We're led by the Spirit to see Jesus. For you did not receive the the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry. And I love the fact that he brings everyone into this. When we receive the spirit of God, when we receive the Holy Spirit and he falls upon us at our baptism, at our regeneration, at our conversion, at that point we are adopted into a family where we all cry out, you are now my father. 
God is my father. No longer do I just see and experience him as judge, but now he is the judge in the courtroom who has banged the gavel and has said, your sins are forgiven. You have been pardoned of all that you've done wrong, but not only have I pardoned you, but I'm taking you home with me. I'm adopting you into my family. Now we get to experience, because of the Spirit, we get to experience God as Father. And then he goes on to say in verse 16, this is where we're closed. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You know what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life every single day? He's preaching to you, you are a child of God. You're mine. I own you in a positive way. I own you. We used Christ's blood to purchase you. We brought you into the family. You've done nothing to earn this. We've done everything to provide this for you. He's preaching to our spirit every single day, telling us that you are children, that you are heirs, heirs of God, and you're fellow heirs with Christ. Do you know what that means to be a fellow heir of Christ? All that the Father gives to Christ, the Father is giving to us. I mean, think about that. Him looking at Jesus when Jesus is being baptized and God looking down on him and saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. When we look at the story of the prodigal son and we see how the father interacted with a rebellious son and the way in which he threw a party for him, how much more would the father throw a party for Jesus and then for him to look at us and say, everything that I want to do for Jesus, I also want to do for you. Like, we've got to get out of our minds this idea that we can't run to God because of the sin we still choose every single day. God looks at us as he looks at Jesus and he says, I want you to experience all that I have. I want to give it to you. I want to provide it to you. And what the Holy Spirit is doing for us every single day is yelling at us, don't miss the blessings don't miss all that i have for you don't miss what i'm doing to jesus i want you to experience it and we neglect the spirit we grieve the spirit what it means to grieve the spirit is not sinning against him the spirit is grieved when day and day out as c.s lewis says we choose the mud pies on the shore rather than running to the ocean and the party that's there Day in and day out, we settle for less when we see all of God's best right at our fingertips. He's saying, I'm inviting you in. I'm commanding you to come to me so that you can experience all that I have to give you. That's the Holy Spirit's role in our lives. It's not these momentary I laughed at an article this week by the Babylon Bee. If you don't know who they are, they're a satire art, um, article writing organization and <laughs> they wrote this one called um this new doctrine that's been revealed called sola feels um and basically it's saying that in order for you to fully experience the holy spirit um there is now the doctrine that it comes through your feels um, like it's got it's got to get to this point where you've experienced like the Holy Spirit is not just focused on you having a moment in time where you're overwhelmed by the grace and presence of God that then guarantees that you've experienced him. But that he's actively involved in the valleys just as he's actively involved in the mountaintop experiences. Like I, I was a youth pastor for seven years and would take students to, to camp every single summer and had a love-hate relationship with camp because when they get there, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm on like heroin in the Christian life. I'm like, I, like this is like cocaine. For, I'm addicted to everything that I've experienced at camp because I'm in the word of God eight hours a day. I'm praying three hours a day. We've got four hours of music. We've got other uh, students who are wanting to talk to me about Christ from other youth groups all over the nation. Like it, it's, it's literally just putting them into this funnel of hyper Christianity. And when they walk away from that two weeks later, 
I'm then having to schedule counseling sessions with students who are thinking God's abandoned me. He's gone. I, my, my emotions are no longer there anymore. I don't feel as though God is near me. Like, what do I do? Have I lost my salvation? And I'm like, no. Absolutely not. You were just embedded in it and, and surrounded by it for 24 hours a day. And so absolutely you're going to experience kind of that, that drug, as I was talking about, in that week because it's like drinking from a fire hose of grace. Of course you're going to experience that. But when you get back into the mundane actions of life day in and day out, like who wants to glorify God by paying bills? Like that just seems terrible but yet can be something that we can glorify him in. Doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be something that, that, that makes us in the fields be like, God, God is so good that I have to pay a mortgage today. But we can look at that and say, God's so good that I have a house to be able to sleep in. That I have a place for my family. Mortgage reminds me of that. Bills remind me of the fact that I also have a job that's able to provide for my family to live in this community in order to reach the people of this community. Everything we do, the Holy Spirit is there in order to point us to Jesus and the Father. And it doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is left out and getting glory. We can worship the Holy Spirit. He's God. Let's worship Him. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to a sermon from The District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at